This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Jackie Lyle, Executive Director of Performing Arts Serving Acadiana, joins us today. Jackie has worked tirelessly over the past three decades to bring unique programming to Acadiana. She's here to discuss the mission of PASO and upcoming events such as Tango Fire on February 8th and Black Angels over Tuskegee on March 31st. Both will be held at the Hyman Performing Arts Center. Jackie Lyle, it's a pleasure to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're taping in my home still. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, two years of COVID and I'm still taping at home. And before we started, you were telling me about all the challenges and also the thrilling things that happen as you've kept up over the past couple of years with um, PASA. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity for you to first give us your background Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about current events with PASA. So give us a little scoop on where you came from. Well, you know, I'm from Oberlin, Louisiana, and people are surprised to hear that I'm from there. But my dad was the football coach. Cool. And we lived in Oberlin till I was seven, and we moved to Lafayette. And um, so this has been home Uh for a very long time. Did he coach in Lafayette? (laughs) No, he coached in Oberlin. And when he left coaching, went in that that made us move to Lafayette. He actually went to work in state government. Okay. And my mom didn't want to live in Baton Rouge. Okay. So, so we this moved was to compromise. Lafayette. This is her hometown. This is where my mm-hmm. parents met. Oh. They had lots of friends here. So this was yeah. where we came. So you are a Lafayette girl. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Where'd you go to high school? People well, always I ask went that. To, I went to Como High School. You know, that's when Kali Saloom Road was lined with um, rice fields. Mm-hmm. And when... People who went to Lafayette High School said we lived in the country, <laughs> which, of course, East Bayou Parkway is no longer considered in the country. Right, right. That's so something. I went to um, to Lafayette High School, and, you know, I grew up, even when we were in Oberlin, so that was, like, really little, we went to dance classes, and growing up, when I was in fifth grade, I joined the band, and then I convinced my parents to buy me a piano, and continued to dance and never really had the confidence to pursue it as a career. Uh In my mind, that was the only option for a career in music or dance. Little did I know, yes, that there is this whole other world that essentially functions behind the scenes but makes it possible for artists to perform for all of us. Right. So you didn't start out, though, in managing performances. You went to LSU. Well, I went to LSU, Mm -hmm. and I got a degree in psychology. I never intended to work a day in my life, but that's not how it turned out. Reality was a little different. Well, (laughs) you know, I I taught swimming with Margaret Macmillan. Mm. 
from the time I was 14, and then there was a period when I substituted for her when she was doing an offshore survival training. So, you know, I have always worked. Right. But my vision of my future was that I would meet someone, get married, and have a family. So that was pretty much my whole trajectory. I studied psychology because I thought it was interesting, not Mm -hmm. because uh, it was a career path. And I came back to Lafayette after college, and my dad said, you need a job with health insurance. So, you know, that was in the olden days. And I picked up the daily advertiser, and there was a job um, advertised for Clairol. You know, hair, hair products. Fortune yep. 500 yes. company. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. Account executive. And I applied, and I was hired. And with Clairol, I got really great sales training and um who would you call on in that job the, the, with clairol my clients were wholesalers like here s storage drugs lafayette drug company and then major retailers albertson's at the corner mm-hmm. of north college and um johnson was certainly a three times a week because they moved so much product oh and okay. so on my territory was from Morgan City to the Texas border and up north to Leesville so I was mm-hmm. out of town for three weeks every month but in those neighboring areas of did the state did you like that as a young woman was that fun just to it, be out and about it was really fun I mean I never thought somebody would give me a company car and expense account I know, that sounds pretty cool <laughs> I was accustomed to babysitting uh-huh. and swimming, yeah, <laughs> right. babysitting, swimming. So it, it was a great opportunity mm-hmm. for me. And when I left, um, I wasn't planning to work. I did meet someone. You did. You have I, a husband. I, I have a husband. Forty years. <laughs> I'm, I met my husband Conrad Como, who people, many people are his pen pal because he's the tax, tax assessor. Yeah. And um, I was not going to go to work. And the Times of Acadiana had just started, and there was an ad in the newspaper for an account executive, and I applied. And that transformed me. That that nine years full-time at the Times, and you know I stayed there another eight years after I started PASA, was transformational for me. Um, in every way, in an understanding of our community, in an understanding of government, in like understanding of like what was fun to do around here. Mm-hmm. And then also, I was given repeated opportunities to do something new, and I was pushed to do it. So the, there were three people at the Times, James Edmonds, who was the founding editor, Steve May, who was the founding publisher, and then Richard Baudouin, who oh, was wow. the editor at one time. Yeah. And all three of them pushed me to do new things that I never thought I would do. You know, I had a publication of my own for a while. I started some new products for the Times. And then also, I never saw myself leading a sales team. But when I left the Times to begin PASA, left the full-time position, Mm -hmm. because I surely didn't leave, um, I was the advertising director with people reporting to me. And also, I had a column every week. And that... This is never awesome. anything that was in my tra- right. trajectory or my. Yeah. Well, I've I've always been a good writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I knew I could write when I was eight, and but they gave me a public platform for mm-hmm. it where I could get feedback from other people. And, you know, it's, it was just it was a great opportunity for right. me, and then you know the the Fine Arts Foundation was going strong when the Times of Acadiana started. So that was an organization here. It actually was planted in 1975 by James Dick, the classical pianist, who had been a Tchaikovsky medalist. He planted it here. And the Fine Arts Foundation was just fantastic. But in 1988, and I volunteered for them, and the Times was a huge supporter. In 1988, the Hyman Center closed for renovations, the um, oil and yeah. gas industry had yes. collapsed, yeah. 
And then the Fine Arts Foundation had not been paying payroll taxes. So the organization folded, filed bankruptcy, and I got involved as a volunteer with the board of the Fine Arts Foundation that was trying to figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. One of, um, a lot of people don't know this, but when I met Conrad, one of the things that attracted it to me was that he had series tickets to the Fine Arts Foundation series. And, you know, who did we see with, through the Fine Arts Foundation? Ella Fitzgerald, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Rudolf um, Nureyev. The Royal Winnipeg Ballet came here for a week every summer. It was really unbelievable because if you think about those days, Lafayette was a much smaller Small community. Town, yeah. And Lafayette Parish mm-hmm. was way smaller. But those are big-time entertainers. Big-time entertainers. What were we doing with them here in Lafayette, Louisiana? Well, it was because somebody decided we were going to mm-hmm. have this, and they were willing to put up the money to do it, and it was marketed and people came. I mean, Ella Fitzgerald, what a compelling name. Gregory Hines, mm-hmm. great tap dancer, what a compelling name. I mean, the list goes on and on. And um, what a loss to have them fold. And so we started. Yeah. And also came from that. We, we came out of those ashes. And so it was called Performing Arts. We, when we start, when we started that organization, mm-hmm. Performing Arts Society of Acadiana. We've since made a change to really, our name is what our vision is, Performing Arts Serving Acadiana. But when we started PASA, we started in 1989. Um, the Hyman Center had just reopened. We were the first performance up at oh. the Hyman Center. And, you know, we didn't have the the vision of the trajectory that we would take, but we grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, we continued to be hired by others to do work for them. So the state hired us almost every fiscal year to launch an initiative that was in their planning. And, you know, when the Manship Theater opened in Baton Rouge, Mm -hmm. they had a need for help for a short term. We were hired by the Manship Theater. When the Grand Opera House in Crowley was under development, Mm -hmm. we were hired by them. And so we've had all these opportunities to do things. Um, One of the interesting things that I never dreamed would happen is that we would commission new work. Not only did I not dream that it would happen, I really didn't even know what it meant. Because remember, I didn't come from an academic arts background. Mm -hmm. I came from the same kind of arts background that kids all over Lafayette came from. Marching band, dance school, taking piano. And so the first piece that we commissioned was inspired by... A choreographer in New York, Elisa Monte, and she called and said, would you be interested in commissioning a new ballet that would tell the story of the settlement by the Acadians? Oh, my goodness. And so, uh, yeah. like, you know, it's kind of like, um, let Mikey try it. <laughs> like, just ask me, I'll do almost anything. Mm-hmm. And so I said, but that's when all oh, that sure. was coming up, too, like all right. the focus on the Acadians. I said, oh, sure not having any idea what Uh it meant. And it was this incredible experience. Um, The dance work is beautiful. It's still toured now, and we're looking, it's 27 years now, more than that. Do you own the rights to it? No, the the choreographer uh and the the composer own the rights Uh to the music and the work for it because it was all new music that was developed. You brought it to life. Mm -hmm. You helped them bring it to life. in the... It toured internationally for two years. We had a Lincoln Center um, premiere, and it still is an active touring today. So, you know, commissioning new work, we we did that multiple times. And in fact, um, PASA Today is in the midst of a commissioning of a new project that will be on stage, world premiere in Denver on... September 16th, and then we'll be here at some point in the next season, depending mm-hmm. on the touring 
schedule. So I don't know yet when we'll have it here. If I may ask, do you have to raise money to commission a piece? Like, does that mean you're going to be financially backing the creation of this Correct. art, this Correct. performance? So, yes. It's a big commitment. You know, this is, well, this is, <laughs> everything we do is a big financial commitment. You know, it the, the numbers are unbelievable in some instances, but... What it costs to bring a, uh, but an act in. With, you know, we... We have never had trouble raising money for for great work. Now, if we have something boring, we're going to have a little problem. Mm-hmm. But for something that's really interesting and compelling, there's there's never a question about um, whether or not we can do it. And this is this is how I think, Jan. Okay, we have this idea for let's say, a new dance piece. So the new dance piece that we have an idea for now is a reflection on acts of violence against houses of worship, reconciliation, and redemption. Wow. And so the vision is this big. So, you know, I have my arms stretched out. We run the numbers on it. And if the numbers say, you can't can't do quite that much, you're going to have to cut... Scale back the But the thing that really... The thing that really stops us is human resource. Not enough hours in the day and not enough people. That's what stops us more than anything. Hmm. Because if we have the human resource that we need, we know we will have the financial resource. So that's, but nothing has ever, I mean, we've never stopped doing something because of it. Hmm. We have that piece on that's moved to the front burner now. And we have another piece that we have been working on since 2017. So these don't happen quickly. And it is a look at the risk associated with Blackham Coliseum. Really? And that piece will take place in Blackham Coliseum. Well, you know, one of the biggest civil rights stories in Lafayette is the story of Burl Shipley's basketball team, 1966 to 1972. And he brought black players onto the team at a time when the NCAA did not approve it. He brought his team to the top of the, of the pack in the nation, and he stepped down. The NCAA filed more than 100 recruiting violations against him. So that's a, a big question mark. That was a brave, mm-hmm. brave act to bring those players onto the team. And, you know, I lived here, and, you know, I told you, we went to as many sporting events as we ever went right. to performances. I was at all those basketball games. That was the most fun, fun, fun nights of my growing up life yeah. is to have been at Blackham Coliseum, people packed to the rafters. Like I kind of got spoiled because I'm like, you go to a basketball game now and nobody's scoring. Like the team doesn't score at least a hundred points. But those nights it was always uh-huh. triple digit scores. So you're going to have music and dance setting out that story. It is. It's hard to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, the artist that we're using is Elizabeth Streb. She's the choreographer. I mean, and I'm talking about this as though it's going to happen. Everybody's in a rebuilding point right now. So our industry has been so um, crippled. But the artist that we have talked about, and we've brought her to Lafayette, and she's toured around, and she's met a lot of people, is named Elizabeth Streb. And her company, um, she doesn't have... A dance studio. She has a lab, and it's very um, acrobatic. Very um, uses a lot of engineered structures. Her her goal is to make a person fly. Oh, so I love that. If you can just imagine what that might look like. Um, hmm. She's, she's very science-based from the standpoint of engineering and physics, mm-hmm. and then very physical from the standpoint of 
prepare to break your nose. This sounds pretty exciting. Well, it, you know, it's it's something I really would like to see happen. Mm-hmm. That's a very expensive project. It's a $475,000 project. So, you know, can we think about it and can we bring the resource to the table? And when we ran the numbers, we could do it. That's cool. But COVID hit. Right. And so that, that affected so much. Right. It, it's a, it's Current affected projects and, everybody. Yeah. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. affected our industry. And this industry, live entertainment industry, drives the economy. We, we use almost everything. We use transportation. We use printing. We use recording equipment. We use sound equipment. We use live musicians, so more people who need more things. Mm-hmm. We use costumers. We have to have fabric. It, there's no end to the industries that survive on our investment. Mm-hmm. And so as everyone else is recovering, it's just vital that this industry does also. But we can't recover without, um, without being able to be in venues and sell tickets. And then the supply chain hits us too. It hits us in two ways. One, just simply unavailable, and in the same way it hits other people with an escalation in cost. Our revenue stream cannot change dramatically because we are at a level of sensitivity for ticket prices. Mm -hmm. For this market, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people... Assume that people in the arts and people like me don't understand business, but we we do understand spreadsheets. We understand balance mm-hmm. sheets. We understand cash flow, and we understand retained earnings and money in the bank. Right. We we got all that. Do you have bankers you can go to that if you say I need to borrow four hundred seventy five thousand dollars to commission a work? What would they say? No. No. <laughs> There's the door. <laughs> well, you know, we we don't have assets, and especially right now. Mm-hmm. By now, we had envisioned that we would be in an office somewhere, just like you. Yeah. Um, but PASA functions out of my home office. You know, my personal cell phone is our mm-hmm. phone number. Um, we use my computer equipment, my printer, and you're probably the runner. We, also, right? Uh-huh, You're we the use one my that, gasoline, <laughs> and and that's really fine. And I'm not compensated, and that's really fine because I believe this is so important to our community and to the world at large that I'm fortunate. I'm in a position where I can do all these mm-hmm. things. I do not have to be paid. From a business standpoint, we have to account for my in-kind services. If not, the day that we hire someone, then it's going to be a huge surprise in the P&L. Right. So we keep track of what my value is Mm -hmm. and the value of some others. But, you know, I get great interns from the UL Music Business Degree Program. And I have two interns this semester, and one of the interns from last semester, we have hired her part-time, and she is being that's paid. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know, that's the structure, and that's how it's working now. That's not how we want it to work forever, but that's the only way it can exist now. If we had been fully fluffed with an office and staff, mm-hmm. we would have folded. Yeah. Because of COVID. Or had to scramble quickly and people would have been hurt, you know. Um, no, we would have folded. You think? And, well, that's the practicality of understanding the business. Mm-hmm. We would have folded. Yeah. We wouldn't have had artists. <laughs> I mean, there's no way we could have supported a staff with Pasa in your casa. <laughs> Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I want to get to some of the details of what mm-hmm. you do and what's coming up. But if it's all right with you, Jackie, I want to pause and reflect back on an interview that we did with Tony and Sheila Davrin. Now, they're performers also, mm-hmm. and I think you mentioned you know them. They're a husband and wife team from Ireland, and they've made Acadiana their home. And they're actually both professional performers who had toured worldwide, including with Riverdance. They're very talented. And Riverdance, a lot of people know from the dancing and, and singing 
highlighting traditional Irish music and dance. So in this clip, um, Sheila and Tony are so cute. They talk about their love of all things Cajun and Creole and how our culture kind of swept them in. They ended up moving here from New York once they got to know our area. If you haven't heard this interview, you can visit discoverlafayette.net listen to this interview and others. And also, while you're at it, please subscribe to Discover Lafayette. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. Let's take a listen. I saw you in a YouTube video. You were cooking. I think it was something, you know, preparing for one of the um, Celtic festivals. Okay. And you were talking about the similarities between Irish and the Cajun Creole. And a lot of it was people like to eat, they like to drink, like mm -hmm. to dance, mm -hmm. singing is big. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? I mean, is there a lot of similarity in yeah, our cultures? Yeah, I, I think all those, I mean, those things, who doesn't like those things? Right. I think more than a lot of people, though, uh, the Irish and, and the people of Louisiana mm -hmm. love they love a good time. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that a lot and just regularly, you know, passing a right. good time is very important down right. here. And so is hard work. It's very similar in Ireland. You work hard Monday mm -hmm. to Friday, and then the weekends is party time, you know. Right. And that might involve playing music, dancing, uh, having a few drinks maybe, and, uh, and just cutting up and having a good time. We have a word in Ireland called the crack. And the crack, C-R-A-I-C, uh -huh. is a word, and I think we're the only country that has that, but it's a combination of good company, uh, maybe a few drinks, a party atmosphere, uh, dancing, music, mm -hmm. singing, all those things is the crack. Are you right. having the crack? Are you having a good time? Right. And I think uh, we realize very quickly that Cajuns and Creoles like to have the crack. Right. And we were all about that. So we're in. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette with Jackie Lyle, Executive Director at Performing Arts, serving Acadiana known as PASA. So before I break, you mentioned um, PASA in your CASA. I know you've mm -hmm. been doing some things to survive, keep some performers engaged, but also continue outreach while we've had the lockdown mm -hmm. and an inability to, to meet in person. It seems like every time we think we can do things, another surge of yes. COVID hits, <laughs> including right now. Right, right. Because, you know, we were supposed to have a, a performance in January, right. but we we've delayed it to March mm -hmm. for that very reason. Yeah. So, what is um, Pasa in your Casa? Well, it's essentially a rebirth of our concert series, Comfy Couch Concerts, which happened in my home. I have a really nice piano, and the house that we live in, what had an addition that was put on by Square Dancers. Oh, how cool. So it's big. I can seat 85 people. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it's cozy. Mm -hmm. It is a cozy, comfy couch concert. So we were doing that, and, you know, COVID came. I was not having visitors in my house to come and sit down and enjoy a concert, but we could move them online. So we brainstormed, and actually I have to credit James Edmonds for Pasa in Your Casa, and we made its own little logo, uh -huh. and we started booking artists. So we had to hire a sound mm -hmm. um, company, a videographer. So now we're paying sound, videographer, and an artist. And we've had a jazz concert in December of 2020. In your home. Uh -huh. um, so everything's filmed in the house. People who are not the performers have on masks. Mm -hmm. I stay in the kitchen. And um, we've had, so Andre Corville did a, a show of Christmas songs. And then the last one we recorded was the top finalists or the top, the top performers from the district solo and ensemble festival. So these high school kids yeah. came over and they all performed because no one ever hears those performances. Mm -hmm. And this was some content that we could offer them. And then also they all got an MP4 recording yeah. of them playing. Which is a great asset. So yeah. we, um, that's what we've done. The Are house, they live performances? Yeah. But they're taped also. They're taped. So people can listen to them We We after. do tape them before we broadcast them. Mm -hmm. We learned the hard way the first time to not do that because you know, there were things that we could not control. And... Like one of the things that I can't control is that one of the Comfy Couch concerts was a jazz concert. Jeremy Benoit was playing. And when he finished his last note, 
on a high F, my little dog. Oh no. Sang with him. Oh. It's <laughs> so, priceless, but also It's priceless, but yeah. not exactly what we wanted. But we weren't recording then. That was just like a pretty funny thing oh my for gosh. the for the eighty it's like people Katie, in my house. My dog, yeah. Uh-huh. Your best friend. Huh? Right. <laughs> right. So that that's what we did in in the oh. intervening time. Between when we thought we were going to have our first performance, which was in September of 2020, and to when we were able to actually be back on stage in this past October with the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. I have a question about the timing. So PASA, there had been another incarnation of mm-hmm. PASA in the past, as you talked about, mm-hmm. and then it was dormant, mm-hmm. and then you, you brought it back with a new focus. I mean, this must have been just devastating to have the timing for no. you and so many others. I mean, I know you survived. You're, yeah. you're no, figured it, it out. It was not devastating for me. Oh. Um, I had been thinking for, you know, I was there for 22 years mm-hmm. and I had been saying for quite a while that surely there's someone who has a better idea who, you know, we, we have to prepare for someone to come in. And, you know, the, the transition and the decisions that were made were not sustainable and then in 2015, I really couldn't imagine Lafayette without having the kind of content that we were known for on a regular basis. In the intervening time, I had launched a new production here for the Apollo Theater. Um, you know, of course, that's the iconic Apollo, mm-hmm. Apollo Theater on um, 125th Street in New York City. And they were sending out their first attempt at um, at putting together a show of their own, branded the Apollo, and touring it internationally. And they called me and asked me if I would launch it in New Orleans. And I said, well, I can do it in New Orleans, but if we do it in Lafayette, we'll build it into a community project. We'll have lots of people take part. And we did. They, they were convinced by what I suggested, and we put together this show, James Brown, Get on the Good Foot, and mm-hmm. Evening and Dance. We had so much support from the community. It was a beautiful night, and the tour was very successful. So it toured the U.S. first, and then it went to Europe. And so, you know, I did that. I put, had proposed on behalf of a friend who I had, who I know because I had brought her to Lafayette through PASA, mm-hmm. um, twice the violinist Nadja Salerno-Sonnenberg, I proposed to Loyola University that she was interested in artist-in-residence position there. And they, you know, I I laid out what it would look like and how it would impact the greater New Orleans community. And they went for it, but they said, we don't have anybody to manage it. Can we hire you? And I said, okay. And so, you know, I worked for Loyola for three years. And all the while doing comfy couch concerts, you know, Mm-hmm. Getting getting us to where we were ready to go, and you know, I mean, you're a mom. You know that little kids keep you busy, mm-hmm. but the older they get, the demands are different. Yeah. If you want to stay engaged as a mom, and my kids are scattered across the country, my entire family is scattered across oh. the country. So, um, so there were some things about it that were slower than others. The Apollo project was. 16 were 16 months is how long I worked on that. That's, well, you did a lot. I guess I was thinking about in 2020 when you were bringing PASA back mm-hmm. as, as an organization mm-hmm. and then to have COVID hit. The timing, I mean, you, you, you figured it out. How to well, it was keep just moving. one of those things. Um, we didn't have an office. Yeah. We all, didn't all the, have any employees. Right. We had it was not, a time to write it. Yeah. I had written the press release, but we hadn't. We hadn't printed any materials. And so it's just like, there is nothing we can do about this except wait mm-hmm. and continue to work on a plan. And like we had human resource available. I had time yeah. to think about it. And then the, just just time out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like a lot of other people, some people have found this time um, troubling. And while I'm troubled by the health um, threat. I was not troubled by the time mm-hmm. to sit and think and make some decisions about 
what I want in my personal and professional future to look like. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing for our community, I must add. Um, you've got some outstanding shows coming up, and I'm looking at a beautiful flyer that um, PASA has put together, but just coming up in February, you've got a big performance. Um, Tango Fire. Tango Fire, if you want to talk so about that. It's, um, at the it's, Hyman Performing Arts Center. It'll be Center. at the Hyman Center, and it's one night only. And the... Um, the tango, it's the tango, the Buenos Aires Tango Company is the core. And the show is called Tango Fire. And it's led by this world champion um, tango choreographer and dancer. All of the dancers are five couples and they all are world champions. And then they're accompanied by a virtuoso ensemble of four musicians who will be performing the music live. And, you know, we all like think, okay, what's tango? And then, so mm -hmm. if you think back to Marticia and Gomez in the <laughs> Adams family, they tangoed. If you think about that scene in Secret Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino tangoing, in the Broadway show and the movie Rent, there's the tango Maureen, one of the the musical numbers, and there's a Chase Bank with the tango commercial with the tango scene. So. It's all around us. We kind of know the yeah. strat when we see it, but we may not know that it's tango. It's going to be fun, though, a beat. It will be, and it's going to be hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tango is very sensual. I mean, even just thinking about Gomez and Morticia. Mm -hmm. There's, it was their love dance. It's precious. And one that I'm particularly interested in is Black Angels over Tuskegee. I know that you had to move it from late January to March right. 31st. If you want to talk about that, this is an outstanding And it's show. a great example of how we think. So this, this play actually is written by Leon Gray, who um, graduated from UL in theater, he hung around here for a little while, went to Los Angeles. He did the research interviewing um, Tuskegee Airmen and put together the show. He brought it to Broadway, off-Broadway, mm -hmm. and he brought it there for two months, and it ran for 12 years, and it was closed down by COVID. So this is like their first show back up, mm -hmm. and Leon is coming in. He's performing in his work, and... Because people know Tuskegee Airmen, that's a familiar moniker, but they may not know the details. So Theo Foster, who is an associate professor of Black Studies at UL, will be giving three Tuskegee Airmen lectures. So one is, um, is not going to be a public one, but it's for students at Lafayette Middle School who are studying... Um, African-American history. We'll do one in Washington, Louisiana, where we have an alliance with the, um, the mayor's office to bring content to Washington. You know, our name is Performing Arts Serving Academy. Right, right. And then we'll do one later after the show, not the night of, but a few days later, mm -hmm. for people who come to the play and want to know more. Because they may not know about the ones before. right. But they'll be able to come to this one, and um, it's it's a, a play about these black men proving that they could be pilots. Yeah, just as good as everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it was a time. It was during World I War know. II, and it was a time of great racism and segregation, and these guys. Um, proved it mm -hmm. and they made history so th this is very important i think it's a a topic that is um important to understand and also we know that the show is great and when we book things we look for what is going to be great how we can make it greater and you know our our tagline is when pasa presents it you know it's great yeah so yeah. We, um, we're, we're ready for it. I was going to ask you, I know you've got a great board. I looked online mm -hmm. at PASAonline.org, is mm -hmm. that right? And you've got a good board. Do they, are they the ones that help you select the shows or who? Sometimes it's their ideas. Um, you know, I, I can have ideas, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're always great. Mm -hmm. 
and our board members are they all have their different areas of interest in performing arts. You know, some are leaning into jazz, some are leaning into theater, some lean into dance. Some spend time watching YouTube videos so they know all sorts of things that I've never heard anything about. Mm-hmm. So I'm open to a phone call, I'm open to an email, and that's kind of how it gets done in some instances. But I also have a huge network of booking agents whom I trust. And then, you know, I have spent spent more than 30 years watching performances, sitting in the audience, talking to the people next door to me, talking in the lobby at intermission with people, trying to understand what they like about Mm -hmm. it, what they don't like about it. I can sit in a show and there's a certain zing that goes between me and the performer on stage. And if there's no zing there, then I know I can't market it. Right. So that that it's some of it is just you know that that human gut. connection yeah, gut, be that gut feeling. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of things. Here we are in Lafayette. Are our tastes different here in this part of the South, let's say, this region, than maybe a bigger town, a big city? You know, are, no. we, are we pretty on par with what people would want to see? We're proportionately on par. So we're, like, Houston could bring in Alvin American, oh, excuse me, Houston could bring in Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater for three performances. We can bring them in for one. Mm-hmm. New York, they can be on stage for four weeks. Paris, they can be on stage for a whole month. Really? Yeah. Because of the numbers, just because it's of the a numbers, numbers game. of people, because of the difference in um, in the levels of cultural literacy. Mm-hmm. And there's more tourists there too that are looking for. In New York, for sure. Paris, I was really surprised that 50,000 people attended their performance over the course of 30 days. Um, And I happened to be in Paris, lucky me, happened to be in Paris, and I saw the huge posters in the subway. Everything was sold out. I called the booking agent. She arranged two comps for us. I was really curious to see how Parisians would respond to what is essentially American, um, especially everywhere the company goes, their closing number is almost always Revelations, which is Alvin Ely's tribute to his upbringing in the black church. So the music is all gospel, and I was really wanting to understand how an international audience would respond Mm-hmm. to that piece. And the way they responded was a 45-minute encore. Now, oh what does God. an encore mean for dancers? Whoa, it's like another that show. That <laughs> means they continued the piece for another 45 minutes, each taking a solo uh-huh. and then going back to the chorus part. And then <laughs> it, was, it was like we never went home. So talent isn't restricted to um, no. country and, lines. You it's know, one of the things that we universal. brought, um, one of the artists that we brought here was um, Philip Glass, the great composer who's still living and who is known for his minimalist scores. And, you know, is there an audience here for Philip Glass? There's not 2,200 people here for Philip Glass, but there were 475 people who came to see him who would have never had an opportunity to see Philip Glass sit at a piano and perform. And that's when we say we provide local access to great performing arts. That is our number one goal, local access to great performing arts. Mm -hmm. It does not mean sell out performances. It does not, what our mission is not make X amount of money. Our mission is local access. We have learned more about local access on a neighborhood basis. So we now have a, 
a trailer that's our mobile stage so we can bring performances into neighborhoods. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, it's it's a new thing, and we've been kind of tied up a little bit by COVID, mm-hmm. and then it's like pasta in your casa, but, but pasta, pasta in, in your neighborhood, in your yard, <laughs> in your on your street, pasta in your hood. Yeah, <laughs> but um, we're as soon as like we're done with the cold weather, so probably in late March, we'll have a a performance series over a weekend. The same artist will prepare a show and. We'll go to three different neighborhoods. And not the parks, but like neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. Like, uh-huh. That's yeah. so cool. So we have, t- no pun intended, we had a test drive of this, and we did it in Macomb Vise mm-hmm. on a Habitat for Humanity lot, and it worked. People showed up. People showed up. You know, we just have to have a place to plug in. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need, have a huge power demand. But it's great. We have these um, these big vinyl circles. So that was in March of last year. That was our social distancing mechanism without saying, you sit here. It was like, just take a big dot. <laughs> <laughs> and it started to sprinkle. So then we could turn them over and people had a dry place that's to sit. Funny. And some of them we put over the equipment on the stage. So it's, it's really fun. Yeah, that's funny. Um, well, speaking of numbers, like to make these things work, I know that these this is a public service, it sounds like, the mm-hmm. pasta in, um, in your yard. Uh-huh. But... We have just a couple of venues here. We've got the ACA, which mm-hmm. seats about 300 or so. Mm-hmm. And then the Hyman seats, what, 22, mm-hmm. 2300? We actually have about 14 venues. We do? But Are we, you talking about other auditoriums? Like- there's semi-invisible. Uh-huh. So there's there are black box theaters at both Como High School and Southside. Okay. There is a 400-seat theater at Barranco Elementary that has sound and lights. Laura, not Lauraville. Judy's Middle School has a theater. Lafayette Middle School has a theater that seats about 530 seats. It doesn't really have sound and lights, but it's great for classical music, and we we have tested it. Um, Wonderland Performing Arts mm-hmm. has opened. The, have you been in their I theater? I have. That's by 165 the seats. I know that it's been used for different events. It's so. great. We went to a real fun thing called Liquid Karaoke. Uh-huh. So it's only for adults. There's a bar. That's cute. <laughs> and yeah. then there's Cité des Arts downtown, and then there are the theaters on campus at UL. So we really have a big inventory. And you use those? Um, I have used not the black box theaters, but I have used most of the theaters in the public schools mm-hmm. at one time or another. And the school system allows um, this to happen, or well, do you have to rent? Pre-COVID, uh-huh. um, we've, we've brought activities to schools during the daytime, mm-hmm. and then we have done public performances in the evening at Lafayette High School and at Lafayette Middle School. Okay. So I guess my question is, we look at, so you've got 14, let's say, mm-hmm. venues, but for the most of the you know, commercial presentations mm-hmm. you'll look at the hymen you, you need the seating capacity to be able to project um a reasonable about amount of income and we yeah, talk project about that. Yeah. we project our budgets with profit to sell 60 percent of the seats so okay. that's about 1200 okay seats what is your average ticket price do you have an average price well our we we what we did this time um you know we in the past, in past in the past, we had a subscription, and you would buy a season ticket, and you had your same seat for every show. Well, because of COVID, it did not make sense to sell a subscription, so we just priced all of our seats pretty much at the same price, forty to forty-five dollars, and then if you buy four tickets, it's one hundred dollars. Okay, because we would rather have. More people than have more revenue per ticket. Mm-hmm. We know we have to rebuild the audience at the Hyman Center. This work has not been at the Hyman Center for quite some time, and it's actually one of the longest stretches where the Hyman Center did not have these types of performances regularly. And I mean, 
not just the Hyman Center. I mean our community. Right. And I'm talking about going back to the 30s. Isn't that something? Even with so, the wars and you know, well, that, all the different that crises. That wasn't quite as long a period mm-hmm. as we have been. Um, this is hard work. It's very fun. Okay, I, I would not have changed the last 33 years of my life. This was a great opportunity for my family. Mm-hmm. When we started, I was able haha, to work two part-time jobs and have more time with them. But I've always had it always gave me this great flexibility. The, um, so that's been very beneficial to me. I have learned so much. I have made so many good friends through this. I have had a change in my perceptions of people. Um, I've come to recognize my prejudices and work through them. And, you know, even my youngest daughter grew up. I mean, her the first time she did a direct meal piece, like stepping, stepping envelopes, she was two. <laughs> and she left. She graduated college early. And she applied for an internship at a great performing arts venue. And she ended up at the Kennedy Center. So this work that I did impacted yeah. Her, her professional career, mm-hmm. and not many people know this, but when we, when we um, commissioned the piece from Elisa Monte Dance about the settlement, the settlement of South Louisiana by the Acadians, they needed a storyteller, and it ended up being Conrad. And do you know he really? made his Lincoln Center debut, and got a big write up in the New York Times? No. <laughs> yes. When was that? That was in 1996 That's, that oh he my gosh. was. On stage, first and last time. Well, <laughs> except for here, the show that show was in five cities in Louisiana, and mm-hmm. I think he did all of the shows live. He's had quite a career too. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a funny, funny thing yeah. that happened. Yeah. But you know, the experiences that we've had, you know, like to spend the day with Marvin Hamlish, go mm-hmm. pick up the kids at school with Marvin Hamlish in the car. That's so cool. You yeah. know, um, those things have. Have life been, memories yeah. have been fun, I know. but um, you mentioned something about prejudices. Um, mm-hmm. I know you wrote an article recently to the the current, mm-hmm. talking about some people's predilection for certain types of mm-hmm. art and not others. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's been an issue, or is it just a few loud people? You know, um, you know I I think that um, the what I said that night. And remember that that I don't know what prompted it. I, that was at the time when there were the closures of the recreation centers, and all in one area of town in North Lafayette. Right, and the um, I felt it was time to speak out because I had seen so much racism in my position at PASA, and I've. I had something to say and I said it, which tends to be my behavior. <laughs> so um, that that was, you know, it, there's nothing more than I can say than what I said that night, that I experienced it. I experienced it from people who I knew well and I was surprised by. And, you know, one of the reasons that we... Um, we we have just a schedule and not a season ticket is because there were so many instances when we had black artists and the orchestra section, people were season ticket holders, didn't show up. Now, I'm not suggesting that that was a racist decision, but what happened then is Black ticket buyers who wanted to come to the show had to buy tickets upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I was just really not comfortable with that return to like 1965, you know, when, when you know, our audiences were segregated and sometimes not even allowed in the same building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that is why I said what I said. We book without eye to color of skin. And we don't plan to have X number of black artists 
any more than we have plan to have X number of dog shows. <laughs> we don't have X number of dance shows. We don't have X number of music shows. Mm-hmm. We are in we are on I ten. There are artists traveling along I ten. If the artist is going to be here, it is of great value to our mission, and we can get the Hyman Center that night, and we can come to reasonable terms on a financial agreement, and I can project out a budget that seems reasonable and doable, then we'll book them. Right. And if it's not doable, we won't. Sometimes we are flying people in. That's terribly expensive. But sometimes we do it because we want them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are always, I mean, even anybody who's listening, if you have an artist that you want to see here, call me, email me. If you go to pasaonline.org, the phone number for us, you're going to get me. So just call. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that simple. And we also are always looking for volunteers we would like more board members right now today. would be great. Um, our board members do a little heavy lifting um, from the standpoint of helping get out posters, like things that mm-hmm. we used to not have to ask people to do, but we have to do now. Our board members are very active on social media because, you know, to maximize your impact on social media, you have to get... Facebook to love your logarithms. Right. So which can be challenging. Right. So we you know, we, we have that and then to make some hard decisions, um, make some easy decisions, make some fun decisions, mm-hmm. be disappointed by some news, be really happy about some news. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like any other business, mm-hmm. period. Well, I'm so glad you, you came today to share this. I'm I'm really um, praying, I guess, with everyone else that COVID will finally move on and just become another maybe illness and not something that shuts us down. But of course. I'm, I'm so, so proud of what you've done. Because <clears throat> you. you're not just someone that's doing this, like, let me just try it out. You've, you've dedicated decades of your life to well, this. Well, you know, as I tell people, there aren't many people with my skill set who don't have a day job. So... <laughs> So and you don't have to work eight to five. Like you're lucky exactly. that you can survive without exactly. that paycheck. And, and I'm not working for for anybody else doing this. I live in this community. I think it's the responsibility of all of us to make it a better place. And I know this is one thing. Great performing arts that you can attend locally mm-hmm. is one thing that makes a community great. Yeah. Well, thank so. you, Jackie Law, for all you do. And I, I thank you for what you're giving, especially to our youngest ones, to expose them to the arts that they may not ever see. By what you're doing, you are opening up eyes and hearts and ears to possible I, things that I people know can our, do. Our time is short, but you know, the um, when we are able to return to daytime performances for students, that is the most important thing mm-hmm. that we have done. Because there are so many kids who've never had an opportunity to step foot in the Hyman Center or any auditorium. That is a transformative experience. There are many kids who've never seen a grand piano or ever seen one played. I can go on and on about there are many kids who have Mm -hmm. never and the have never will only happen at the Hyman Center. That's exactly right. So I'm hoping for our community as there's talks mm-hmm. now about, you know, we really do need to find another venue location mm-hmm. if it works out right as far as size and right. and the actual location because I know that that's like prime real estate right there by the hospital. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Without that, so many people will not experience um, an introduction to the various right. types of arts that you bring. So it's an, it's an important endeavor. That you've been engaged in. Thank oh, you. thank you. Yeah, Jackie Lyle again, um, Executive Director of the Performing Arts, serving Acadiana. You can go to pasaonline.org to get Jackie's personal cell phone. But <laughs> even more importantly, to to register to get tickets for some upcoming right. performances. And I'm hoping there'll be many more throughout 2022. Thank you. We yeah. do too. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. And I want to thank our sponsors who make this show possible. 
Iberia Bank, now a part of the First Horizon family. Oxner, Lafayette General, and in particular, Raider and Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. Thank you all for your support. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Thank you.